Hi, I'm Nick Casey. I'm a VP of Product Machine Learning at Giphy. And I take my coffee with uh, cream and monk fruit. And I usually like uh, you know, very strong blends. Um, darker, the darker the better. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another ML Ops Community Podcast. You know what it is right now. We are out here talking with Nick Hasty. He was the first engineer at Giphy, a little company that did things with GIFs, and it absolutely blew up. We talked all about his journey into AI product from the web dev space. Actually, before that, even, we got into a little music, side chat, tangent, because as you know, I love playing music and I love making music. And so if I have a musician on here, we're probably going to do a little bit of a tangent. So we had that happen. We had him talk about his journey from music to web dev, then joining this little startup in 20, I think he said 2013 when it was just like one other person, maybe the founder and him, and how he has been able to grow with the company. And the company has exploded, as we said, but we all know, Giffy, it was like, I don't know if it's only me because I am a millennial. I use that all the time. I would just reply in comments with GIFs. Now I've had to start toning back my GIF usage because apparently it makes me look old, but I love my, I love me a GIF. I do. I love me a GIF. And so anyway, Nick also talked to me about the way that Giphy is using AI and how that has changed from 2013 until now, how they were leveraging AI for their semantic search capabilities back in the day. And that is a cool little story. And then what they're doing in their R&D department for AI these days. He also filled us in on all kinds of cool stories over the years that he's had scaling up with good old Giphy. I mean, I feel like this is one of those that is very near and dear to my heart because I've used it so much and love using it. Last little bit about Nick before we jump into it. He has been helping startups, and it is cool to see how he talked about what he advises the startups that he helps these days. He's mentioned that some of his former coworkers have gone on to start things or people that have worked under him, and it's really nice to see what he said now versus maybe even just three years ago. All right, I think that is it. Let's get into this conversation with Nick. And if you liked it, leave me a GIF as a reply. That's the only way to do it. I think you got to reach out to me and just send me a GIF and I will know that you listened to this and you enjoyed it. And give me your funniest GIFs. I want to see the best GIFs that you've got. I don't even care. No sensors involved. Give me some weird ones. Okay, enjoy this. We'll talk to you on the other side. So I locked myself out of the house today. And my wife, the reason I went out of my house was because I was looking for my phone and I thought it was in my car. And so I went out of the house and went to look for the phone that was in the car. But turns out 
my wife took the phone and the keys that I grabbed and I left the doors open and everything, but it's a little bit stormy right here. Yeah. And boom, the wind blew it closed. So basically I, I think, oh man, my phone, uh, it's in my car. And I walk outside, leave the doors open, grab some keys, don't really think much about it. And the storm blew the doors shut. And I realized when I get down to where the car's parked, there's no car. And so the phone was, yes, it was in the car, but my wife had taken the car. And so right. then I was like, all right, well, I can't do that two-factor login that I wanted to do with right. my phone because they were texting <laughs> me. Uh, I'll wait to do that one. Then I get back to the house and I realized that the doors had been shut from the storm. And then I'm like, no problem, whatever. I got the keys and I grabbed the keys. Our neighbors are going out of town and they left us their keys. And those wow. are the ones that I grabbed. When Comedy of nerves. <laughs> so then I was sitting there and I went to our neighbors and I was like, can you text my wife? Tell her to come home because I'm, uh, I'm locked out, blah, blah, blah. She doesn't come home. She's not coming home. And I'm realizing, hey, we've got this conversation we're supposed to be having. Yeah. And I look up on our balcony. I'm like, I wonder if one of those doors is open. So now I got to figure out how to scale up the side of this building wow. and get onto the balcony. Managed to do that, climb onto the balcony. The doors aren't open though, except here in Germany, there's this like setting for the doors where you can put it so the top folds out. I don't know okay, if you've yeah, seen yeah. that. So it's yeah, not like it about. opens this way. It opens from the top. Yeah. And so oh, you crawled into that. Yeah, it goes and it opens from the top <laughs> and then there's there's another door right next to it, but the door handle is on the other side. So I'm trying to reach for the door handle, try and open that, doesn't work. And we've got this uh, wardrobe outside on our balcony and I'm looking for tools that I can use to like latch on to <laughs> that. I end up finding a way to push open the door handle and boom, it swings open Impressive. and I was able. Yeah, so- yeah. Might as well just call me uh, MacGyver for yeah, the rest totally. of this conversation. It's kind of nice to have those tests every now and then, right? Or you're like, yeah. worst case scenario, you know, I could figure it out. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> yep, and then I'm going to have to wait. And I wouldn't have had any way to let you know that I'm totally blowing you off, you know? <laughs> so I would have felt horrible because I wouldn't have had my phone and I wouldn't have been able to get to my computer, which was inside. And so I was like, I really got to get to this conversation that was like the only thing that i had slated for today so anyway man you made it nice work. i made it and i'm glad i did so now for those who are tuning in you've been working at giphy for a long while giphy for those who do not know is the millennials favorite thing to do on <laughs> slack and yeah. or any social media i yeah. heard that it's not as cool anymore for the gen z but i still love it and i abuse it uh along with all of my other friends and I'd love to just dig in in the next 30, 40 minutes to your experience being the first engineer at Giphy and then yep. going from an individual contributor, being an engineer on the team, having to wear many hats because in a startup, we all know that totally. everything's on fire every day. And then as the the organization matured, you became, your role probably solidified more and you started leading teams. And you've been doing all of this with the initiative of using machine learning. And so 
I think it's super valuable to hear about A, how you've been using machine learning, how that's changed over the years, B, your own personal journey and how that's changed over the years. And then yeah. really what Giphy's up to these days and how machine learning yeah, totally. is working. So let's just yeah. start with the idea of where'd you come from? Like what you joined Giphy 10 years ago. What were you doing before that? Yeah, totally. Well, one thing beforehand, GIFs are definitely a millennial thing, but uh, our our most popular content now is stickers, which is like what people layer on top of videos. And we power stickers in a bunch of different applications that people use. So that's kind of like, so there's the sneak. There's how we get into the to the youngins. Gen Z. Um, there we go. Yeah, the Gen Z. But yeah, so I got kind of a, a broad background. Um, I grew up in North Georgia, kind of a rural area. Um, and... Um, there wasn't much computer stuff happening here. Surprise, surprise. There was a lot of, a lot of football and a lot of church. Um, but, uh, I was, you know, kind of not in that zone so much. And, um, I got into music, um, was playing in like bands through high school, like punk and even in like a ska band and stuff like that. Cause that was what was popular at the nice. time. And, um, then I went to college in Georgia and I was an English major and I was in Athens, Georgia. And I only went there because I wanted to play music. I just, that was the only thing, you know, that was like my, my overriding belief is that music is the best thing that anyone can do with their lives. And so I followed that for a long time. Um, but then as I got a little older, you know, I was like, okay, I got to make money. And like, maybe I want to have a family one day. Um, and so I, um, I went to a grad program in New York um, at NYU. It's called um, Interactive Telecommunications Program, ITP. And um, what they do is take people from broad backgrounds and kind of throw technology at them. And I had some music tech stuff, you know, um, already kind of under my in my wheelhouse but uh it was an itp where i really started doing um things that really challenged me that i wasn't familiar with um you know everything from like circuit design and you know prototyping to programming and um you know i had to bash my head against a lot of this stuff for a couple of years um but you know it kind of broke through and all the assumptions i had about myself of me not being that kind of person you know i'm like the slit guy and you know critical theory or whatever like that was my like I can't do programming. You know, I was like, oh, wait, actually, I like this. You know, I'm pretty good at it. Um, but, you know, I kind of stuck with, like, my principles a little bit, and I was still really into art. And so after ITP, I started working for this um, organization called Rhizome, uh, which is based in the New Museum of Contemporary Art in New York. Um, I'd been interning there. I was a fan of the place because they were, um, they were, it was a nonprofit arts organization that was devoted to internet art. Um, and so it had been around since the 90s, and... Um, they had been promoting and even archiving, you know, people doing weird things on the internet, like weird websites, weird email stuff, you know, just people kind of like taking apart and tinkering with what constitutes the internet, you know, weird, weird, weird websites with JavaScript that like open infinite windows or like, you know, you look like you look in the source code and there's like bomb schematics and stuff like, so cool stuff like that, right? Basically it was NFTs before NFTs. <laughs> yeah, 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 God, yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, um, those ideas were discussed in the, that community um, yeah, before they became a popular thing, you know. Um, and that was a lot of fun. And in the process, I I had to do a whole whole lot of web programming because I was the only engineer at this little nonprofit, and and we had a lot of responsibility. Um, and also, like, got really familiar with gifts because, you know, gifts are these things that are native to the internet, right? There's this there's this media format that's like been there since day one. And people have been doing like, you know, art like, through GIFs, like GIFs was their medium that they made art through. 
and I had to archive a lot of that stuff and I had to learn how they work. Um, and so, you know, that was four years or something. Um, and then after that, I was doing a lot of freelance stuff, just kind of helping startups in, in various, in, in New York City, you know, just doing um, early stage stuff. And I had a friend who was with this uh, kind of an incubator slash venture capital um, um, organization called Betaworks, and they're still around pretty big in New York. Um, and they were like, hey, why don't you come over here? We got a, this new program called Hackers in Residence where we're pulling in, you know, kind of serial entrepreneurs and letting them build something. They, they need some help. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, what's working? Who's, who's there? And they're like, what well, is this guy building a gift search engine? And I was like, okay, yeah, that's fun. You know, that sounds cool. I was like, and so I came and met, and this guy's Alex Chung. Um, he's the founder of Giphy. And, you know, I met him that day and he kind of did a quick interview about how I would do stuff and some technical stuff. And, you know, he was like, I did good, I guess. And he was like, okay, can you start tomorrow? And I was like, yeah, let's do it, you know. Um, and so, yeah, so that was, you know, this is like February of 2013, I think. He built the first Giphy prototype in November of 2012, and it was just like a website doing, um, you know, full text search against the MySQL database, <laughs> you know, with a bunch of crawled Tumblr data. And, um, but it was like super popular and people were crashing it, you know, cause they were, um, cause they were, they were using it. There was like this demand, right? There was very clearly a demand. Um, so we started building this thing and, you know, he was coding and I was coding and I was doing the website, a lot of that stuff. And he was doing a lot of the API. And yeah, you know, it was just one of those things where it was like, if you keep building it, they keep coming. Um, um, and, you know, I think what we, you know, our operate, you know, what we were kind of like working on was the idea that um, there's something happening in gifts that is very unique and distinct and kind of new. And that is that people are using them to communicate. And we, we, we saw this in action on, you know, a lot of different uh, you know, message boards and websites like that that were real popular back in the day, like like Tumblr, for instance. You know, uh -huh. people were would post something and then people would put comments in the gifts, you know, put gifts in the comments, you know, as like a reaction or a response. Or sometimes people would post something that was a gift and then they would have some caption underneath that was like, you know, something. Make it they were making an analogy between what's happening in the image and then what's in the text, right? And it was like usually real funny, like real silly stuff. We were like, this is cool. This is a this is a this is a really interesting emergent behavior. It's happening here, and like we should just get this everywhere, right? Like this needs to be in every place that people are on the internet or any place that people communicate. We want to have them give them the ability to communicate in this format. Um, so that's what we did, and you know we we built plugins for every WordPress, you know, like every everything that people posted, we built a plugin for it. Um, you know, Slack wasn't even around yet, but there was like WeChat and things like that. And we would build integrations there and we just built this network and we were pulling in content from all over the internet. And the goal was to just create this big network, right? We didn't want to create a social network, which was, I mean, at this point in time, it was still like an idea. We're like, hey, we're going to create a social network, right? And people were like, oh, cool. You know, like, um, but we were like, we're not going to do that. Um, we're going to create a network that is a content distribution network for communication that plugs into these different networks. And, um, it was funny too because we'd go higher and we'd look for people and most people would kind of laugh at us. They were just like, a gift search engine, that's stupid, you know, memes, whatever. That's like, you know, they would laugh and I was like, okay, that's fine. You know, that you probably don't want to work here then. Meanwhile. Yeah. Yeah. You're getting like gigantic scale and. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, it was like, 
it was it was wild. You know, sometimes I was like, I can't believe this is happening to me right now because um, it was like one of those like hockey stick parabolic growth things, right? Where it was just like, you it's like here's our you know here's how many gifts we're serving, and it's just like boop 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 boop, you know, straight up, and we're just constantly deploying our infrastructure. I mean, I was kind of you know a full stack person. I, I was like really struggling to keep up and to learn and to like how do I provision all this stuff and you know write scripts. I mean, virtual machines were still kind of new. AWS was still kind of new. And I was like... Kubernetes was not a thing at all. Yeah. yeah. Like auto-scaling, like, can't, wasn't totally there yet. And it was like, it was like, it was a wild ride. Um, but yeah, you know, it's a lot of fun. I like those kind of situations. And, you know, like what you said earlier, if it's, you know, startups are, you know, they're kind of a free-for-all, right? Like, um, you got to have alignment in terms of it's like, I mean, to me, they're like cults, you know, it's like a cult, right? You have a cult leader, kind of the founder, and then everyone has to really, really believe in that founder and believe in the idea. And uh, that gives you a certain, an irrational principle or an irrational set of beliefs that you adhere to that guide your actions and guide your behavior, right? Because all things being said, there's no reason why any of that should work, you know? Like, left alone, you know, these things would not emerge in by itself, right? So it's like, okay, we got to make it happen. And um, so, yeah, you got to do random stuff like, yeah, you may be programming, but then you may have to like, you know, run a Reddit community on the side or like, you know, or like, you know, talk, do BD development or like whatever, because if you don't, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good, so many parallels there. I mean, I first want to just point out, I feel like I got into tech the same way as you. I, yeah. I'm a music lover at heart and yeah. wanted to just play music for the rest of my life. Right. And then my daughter was born and I'm like, oh, yeah. I gotta go make money. <laughs> Can't be doing this music thing like 24 yeah. seven anymore. Yeah. So had to take a long, hard, cold look in the mirror and get into tech. And so there's that piece. But then I really like how you were able to adapt because I feel like a lot of people aren't able to hit those scaling issues or hit those issues where it's like, oh, now I need to go figure out like how to do this. I've only done web development, but looks like yeah. I need to be more full stack. Let me go figure that out. Where do you think you went right where others may fall off? You mean me individually or like the company? You individually. I think I kind of tend to operate with a certain, with like a, rec a recognition of all the uncertainty that I have. And that uncertainty is like really strong. And so I'm just like, I don't understand this. I don't know enough. And it takes a lot for me to be satisfied to actually know something. Um, and so, you know, during this time period, it's just this kind of constant unrelenting search for people, for information online, for whatever it takes to figure out how to solve this problem. And never assuming that you know, it's not just going to come innately, right? Like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not just going to magically get struck by lightning and figure this out, right? Like, I got to get out there and hustle and, 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 you know, do what it takes to solve that, patch that problem, you know, spend the time and effort to, to research, I mean, you know, and then, and then try to apply. And then, you know, a lot of times it doesn't work because you have imperfect information yeah. and you're doing this. You're like, okay, shit, that didn't work. Oh, you quick. Got to iterate. You know? How do you move? What else? What else? You know, what, what do I, what do I don't, what do I not get here? And, you know, having the pressure of, um, angry people on Twitter 
saying, well, if he's down or something, you know, like that's just like, huh. it's like you're sweating. The mob you know? so comes like, after you. Yeah. That's yeah, so totally. Cool. Yeah. The anxiety that must induce the hundreds yeah. of thousands of people you're letting down. Like they can't react in the way that is most natural to them. Yeah, totally. Yeah, we, you know, we took it with a grain of salt. I mean, we were always like acknowledging the absurdity of the situation, you know, like we're working, we're getting paid to like give people gifts. And if the gifts don't flow for a little while, like, you know, all the orphans and the sick people in the world, you know, they're still, they're, we're not, you know, we're, we're not, we're not killing anyone or we're not her, you know, so we're lucky to have a, you know, the stakes were high, but they were different than a lot of other people who were doing things, you know, so. Yeah, uh, that's so good. And now, one thing that I'm interested in too is the trajectory of AI. And maybe we yeah. can start by diving into like, how did you shift from being an engineer to yeah. going more into product and AI? Yeah, totally. Um, so I think I'm, you know, I would consider myself more of a product engineer in a way. Um, which is great when you're a startup early on and you need someone who's like can kind of imagine the product and then build the product. Um, and it may not be the best and it may not be the most efficient, but like it, you know, if, as long as it works and it doesn't, you know, kill the ex user experience enough, then you know, ship it. Um, but I think as Giphy started scaling, you know, we started to have to, we had like real engineering problems that we had to solve, you know, like written, like, written, like as soon as we hit these integrations with major, major social networks. And, you know, Facebook was, you know, hit us up and they'd be like, you know, you got to shave 30 milliseconds off your response time, you know, like, like <laughs> you know, that's like, 30, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, that's okay, let's figure it out. Yeah. So then, you know, we, those problems started happening and I addressed those the best I could. And then you start hiring to serve those things. But I wouldn't say that's like my zone, right? Like I can, I can try to figure it out, but I'm not going to be like, this isn't my happy place per se. And, um. So luckily I started just moving into like what we called special products and R&D at first. You know, once we got the other engineers in there to help with some of those scaling things and focusing on those things. And I was like, I don't really want to do this, you know, I, I want to do something else. And so, you know, I had a pretty good sense of the problems of the business in general. Um, so I started trying to figure out, okay, what are things we could build internally that'll help make things easier for the company to flow and the company to be more efficient? Um, or what are things we can, what are experiments we can do to, you know, show new ways you can interact with the product. and All us stickers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So one of those things was like, you know, search at this time period was, you know, super powered by um, tags. You know, everything was tags, tags, tags. And uh, we would pull in content from the internet and then we had like, you know, a team of like five or six editors that were like curating and tagging stuff, right? Um, but the more content we pulled in, because I had I'd written a lot of web crawlers and stuff, and I was just kind of vacuuming in as much as we could. Um, clearly, you know, this is that problem that, that doesn't scale. And so I was like, okay, well, there's there's this new thing, computer vision, ML, you know. There are people who were, you know, finding labels for stuff. And I was like, this is the future. This is what we got to do, you know. Um, so I started looking into that, researching that. I didn't really have the technical background there. Um, so... I started, you know, looking for third-party solutions or like other ways of just spinning stuff up, you know, knowing that there was no way we, the company continues grows without having this stuff. So how do we get it in and start moving it and um, leveraging it, you know, and back then it wasn't so great. I mean, um, it was very general, like um, object detection stuff, but 
So it wasn't, you know, in our in the metadata, we needed to, to be hyper specific and very culturally relevant and abstract and that kind of stuff. Um, but we stuck with it. Um, and then as like other models started coming out that did more things, we were able to lose leverage does like, for instance, word to you know, that, that came out, um, and that was primarily for NLP, but, um, we were able to leverage it for, um, content recommendations and we've, and it's still like used, it still outperforms like graph networks and other things we've tried out, you know, we had the idea or read the idea and adapted it to like take user information, like user session data, anonymized, of course, but like, Hey, they looked at the GIS GIF, they did this search. And then they clicked on that, um, put that, treat that like a sentence in a corpus of text, and then um, feed that into Word to Vec, and it learns semantic relationships between like we would use GIF IDs, not GIFs, but the idea of a GIF. Um, it learned the semantic relationship between like the GIF and the, and the query and the click and these kinds of things, and you build like a you know really great embedding of like pop culture um, and communication and expression and emotions along with images. Um, and we could even do like the kind of arithmetic stuff where you could take like, you know, like what are like King is King minus man plus woman equals queen. And for us, it was like Aragorn from Lord of the Rings minus somebody plus a woman. And then it gets like Beyonce, like Queen Big, you know, like it was like very like, um, like it totally worked. Like that was like, you could literally, you know, traverse the vectors like that. Wow. It, it was super fun. Um, and this was pre-vector database explosion yeah, that we yeah, have right yeah, now, yeah. right? Exactly right. This is like 2018 um, or so. And so we were still, you know, we were using like KNN lookups for these kinds of things and compressing right. them in that. So um, so that was a lot of fun. And I think it, it when I started seeing those things, um, I was like, wow, this is super interesting, creative that these models can learn these, these things. Like, um, you know, Maybe in the world we live in now, all these problems seem so solved, but NLP was still struggling with like, you know, these kind of things back in the day, especially like language is messy and slippery and, uh -huh. you know, different things have different meanings and, and depending, it's all depends on the context, right? Language is ultimately is just a, a construct of how people communicate and, and how our brains learn the context of what we communicate, right? Um, and that's kind of the the foundation between a lot of these models. And I was like, like WordDevec, it was all about, you know, context. What's the context in which the thing appears? And that that's still very relevant, obviously, to like things like attention and these kinds of things. Um, but depend, so the context is learned from the data, right? And if your data is emotions and memes and moods and feelings and images, then yeah, it's going to learn stuff. And it's going to learn the difference between, like if you have a, a search term like good morning, right? Like good morning sounds like simple, but there's like 10 different ways to say good morning. There's like you know, ironic good morning. There's like, you know, sarcastic, sarcastic good morning. Good morning. Sunrise. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, totally. Coffee. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. many different ways. So many so, different ways, right? So when someone searches good morning, like you don't know what exactly version of good morning they, they have, right? What's their intent? Um, but these networks kind of helped us learn these things. And then we could present a wide variety of interpretations of this really simple concept. Yeah. And, and then um, when they click in, you see the, oh, this is also, here's a few that are similar to this. Yeah, totally, yeah. And it's all reinforcing, you know, the more they click, the more these models. But yeah, I think I was like, wow, these these kind of, you know, word effects are very simple, relatively speaking, compared to a lot of things, but it, it learned these super uh, complex relationships like irony and sarcasm, you know, these things that 
linguists used to say, oh, you know, there's no way you can encode that into programming and stuff, right? Because there's just too much complexity or too much slippage. But if everything's just statistical, then then boom, you can solve it, you know? And so I think that got me really inspired and really excited to see that happen. What do you think is one of the reasons that you would call yourself or you would identify as a product engineer more than anything? Yeah. I mean, I like to... I like to make things for people to use, you know, um, like I like, like if I, if I have an idea for something, I want to see it emerge. And my ideas for things are usually, uh, things that people interact with, you know, like in music too, you know, I mean, you play music, you play it partially for your own like joy, but it's also, you're sharing an experience, right? With other people, you're, you're communicating something inside of you. With some with other people, and I think that you know you can think a product like that too. It's like there's this thing that could exist in the world that can make people feel good or feel joy or feel happy, or maybe better their lives in some way. Yeah. Um, so you say so you you, know, you want to see it happen. You know, there's an itch, right? There's like there's a pain in the world or there's a problem, and you have an itch and you think you can solve it. You know. Yeah. Do you feel like that has changed a ton now since the advent of LLMs and this whole boom? Because I feel like just from my perspective, not to bias yeah. your answer or anything, but what I've seen is that the product engineers who understand a bit about how APIs work, they can hack together something pretty quick, are able to stand up MVPs that they don't have to now wait for the ML oh, yeah. team or the platform team or the data team to actually get going. They can just say, hey, look, here, if we did this, I think it would be useful. Here's a quick demo of it. Is everyone else on board? You know, yeah. so like how in your experience has it changed because of that, if any? Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, um, shipping ML products has historically been difficult, kind of tedious, right? It's like, okay, you got to gather the data. Do we have the right data? You spend a ton of time like making sure that the model is going to build a representation that is aligned with what you want. Hey everyone, my name is Aparna, founder of Arise, and the best way to stay up to date with MLOps is by subscribing to this podcast. And that's a whole thing into itself. And then you got to find the right network, and then you train, and you evaluate, you know, and then it's like, okay, what's the interface? Like, how does this thing live? And like, and then before that, like, how do you deploy? You know, how do you prop this thing up? Because it's like, we got this huge binary file that, like, that's slow as hell. Like, how do we... So yeah, it's a whole world, and right? You don't even know at the end of the day after doing all of this if the end user is going to find it valuable. Exactly. You got to go through all right, that totally. crap just to figure out that oh yeah, this feature isn't even that useful. Totally. I mean, exactly. So yeah, I mean, you know, these things, LLMs, you know, they're they're so powerful and they're so easy to to do things that were historically very complicated. Even like um. You know, like you can you can use a sophisticated LLM to do really interesting and novel analysis on data and, and like text in real time, right? And like, it's not just about producing text. It's like, hey, here's something the user said, you know, evaluate this and classify it, right? So if you have the right prompt, you can build a cool classifier, right? That, that, that takes in some really difficult text or not even difficult, like, you know, it's one thing where if you're building stuff for people and they have to press a button and that button is true or false, right? If you're working with speech or language, then there's a whole lot of different ways to 
say true or false, you know, like, yes, um, maybe, or sure thing, or whatever, you know, and then you can build a true-false classifier based on language, you know, using an LLM, and that's, you know, historically, you might have some kind of crazy substring list or whatever, right, you're checking against, right, but it's never complete, right, it's never, it's never enough, um, but these things, you know, you can, so you can, you can, you can, you know, put all these things together, and you can build really amazing, yeah, exactly what you're saying, MVPs of stuff, right, because, um, I think what's interesting is that the the interfaces are moving away from being purely Boolean in a way, buttons and stuff, to being more just, you know, statistical in nature, which is more like reality itself. Um, so we can build interfaces that are more natural to to people. I think you know. And I I also wonder when you're thinking about building products now, how do you evaluate? should we use an LLM for this use case or should we use this older or traditional or smaller model or boring, less sexy yeah. thing? Because we've got years of use out of it. It's battle tested. If it ain't broke, don't fix it type thing. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's all about what are you building, right? And what are the, what is the value you're delivering in the product? And if, and, and in that sense, the tool's are chosen out of necessity and not because you want to do some use some tech, right? If you got something battle tested that works and fulfills the need, um, yeah, use that. You don't need an LLM. Um, but if you have something that there's no existing tool for, um, or using an LLM will save you, you could do it the old fashioned way, but you know, you would have the pain that we kind of just described in that process, then yeah, use it. I mean, the only thing with LLMs is that um you know, they're kind of slow, you know, so yeah. there's the latency issue and um, there's the scalability issue. Um, I mean, I, I think all those things will go away over time. That's kind of the nature of, of tech. But um, I think if you're building something that's purely LLM based right now, then you're going to have to contend with those things. Yeah. You're getting that call from Facebook and yeah, they're saying, right. yeah. shave 30 milliseconds off yeah, and you're exactly. like, I can't do that. The yeah, open AI... <laughs> response time is anywhere from three minutes to 30. Yeah, exactly. Totally. So yeah, that's, but I mean, if the thing you're building, if you can build in, um, to the, to the end product, if you can build in the expectation for a delay, right. You know, yeah. um, and the experience, then maybe it doesn't matter so much. So again, you know, um, it's all about what are you building and what, what are you trying to deliver? I think. Yeah. And, um, but, but but now there's so much cool stuff. You can deliver things that could never have been done or have, you know, much more complexity or interesting um, in states than you ever could. You know, it's a great time, in my opinion, to be an engineer. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's amazing, you know. It's incredible. And especially someone who thinks about product and is yeah. product-focused, product-minded. And I, yeah. I also wanted to ask you, Thinking about building products and especially in this AI space that you play in, what's your opinion on like the intuition of, hey, I know this product is going to work well versus we need data on if this product is going to work well or we need to see more examples of this working well before we actually move forward with it. And yeah, especially because yeah, you're you're building at a gigantic scale, right? So yeah. it's something that I imagine you can 
if you want, you can A-B test like crazy or you can do a lot of experiments. Uh, and so you've almost got like all that at your fingertips. How do you look at leveraging that when building these AI? Yeah, yeah, features? totally. I mean, I mean, I think um, kind of have to have both. I think, um, you know, when you if you come up with something new, you know, <clears throat> it can come from data, you know, like you're, you're like there's some like if you're analyzing a bunch of user data, like if you have a pre-existing product and there's a bunch of user data about how people use that product, then you can examine that data and then say, okay, there's a pain point here or, or there's some kind of like narrative in here that's unique and different. And you can isolate and pull that out and then build around that narrative. Um, you know, that's like a one data driven way from starting from scratch. Or it's like, um, you know, intuition is just... In my opinion, you know, like your it's inference based on your, your brain's collected wisdom and knowledge, right? So it's like, so if you know a space really well or like a domain really well, you can say, okay, I have some intuition about what could be a good product in this space. And then you start building and then you have to test, right? And then, I mean, what you build and what your intuition is, though, oftentimes is very different, you know, with what the end result is versus what you think it needs to be out there oftentimes is very different and sometimes you'll be right and you'll be like i was exactly right that's a home run like this what i had in my head is exactly what people wanted but Just, like that's very rarely the case and when you are thinking at these scales you know you're you're thinking about distributions of users and you got to yeah. find what's the um what's what's the product that makes you know the top of the bell curve happiest to get the most people happy per se or unless you want to but sometimes you do have to engineer for the for the outliers and these kinds of things. So I think it's a mixture of both, you know. And this is kind of well-worn territory with product development and startups, you know. It's like user testing, continuous, you know, testing and product development and that kind of thing. I think that's all true. I mean, I think you can you can dilute yourself though, right? And like, I think you have to have your north star. Like, what am I actually trying to build, and what what's the experience I'm going for here? And if you end up doing too much testing, I think you could say, you could end up with some kind of, you know, uh, product that's delivered by, you know, too much collective information. And it's kind of like, you know, doesn't make anyone upset, but doesn't really make anyone happy, right? Yeah. Right. And that could be a bad thing. So I think you got to have both, but you got to stick to your guns, right? You got to stick your vision and your vision may change. So it's like what you build may not be the thing, but as long as whatever you end up with is, you know, delivering the same kind of value or the same kind of joy to the user that you wanted to, then then you win, yeah. I like what you said right there, this product development that ends up not pissing anybody off, but not making anybody a super fan. Yeah. And how it's like you playing it safe isn't getting you any accolades in a way. Yeah. But you're also not going to get fired, so it's <laughs> exactly, hopefully, right. uh, I yeah, it, it's a funny one because it's like you almost have to fight against that inertia to just do what you think is going to work, and because or what you know will work, as opposed to taking a bigger swing and going for something else, and especially with, I mean, that's the idea with that you were talking about with the LLMs and being able to do so many new things yeah. and being able to incorporate AI into your product in all these different ways. Uh, yeah. 
This is a great segue, though, into talking about what you all are doing now at Giphy, as opposed to, you told us about back in the day, this word to vec is incredible. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah, that, yeah. but how has it evolved? <laughs> if it has, uh, maybe you... Yeah, for sure. So the ML team that I've been running for a couple of years, you know, it's always pretty small and scrappy, but we've been able to do a lot of different things. Um, back in 2018, uh, we had a, um, you know, uh, network that we released in open source it was like a celebrity detector. Um, it's like in just a you know convolutional neural network that we trained on a bunch, bunch of celebrity information, and you could upload a photo, and it would detect you know what celebrity you looked the most like or what celebrity it was, and you know that was like a fun Giphy-esque kind of product thing. Um, but in terms of you know inside the company, like um, it's used all over the place. You know we use machine learning these kinds of things. Obviously, we do search right. Like so, um, any company. Anyone doing search now is and not using ML in the search is going to miss out. So, you know, we used that same model I'd mentioned earlier. Um, we use embeddings from that in the search. We do, um, you know, just various kind of um, vector embeddings and those kinds of things to help help us find um, better matches, you know, beyond. Like the whole goal is like you got this sequence of images moving, you know, what are all the ways you can extract metadata from that? Um so you, you got to be scrappy and come up with creative ideas. And then we also have things for like, um, you know, tagging. Um, like when people upload content, we have a model that we've created that takes in the image of the GIF and then recommends tags based on Giphy's tagging structure and popular queries that allow people to tag that content so it'll help show up in our search. Um, but yeah, you know, ever since, I mean, so like Giphy in and of its self is like at least the way most people use it which is in slack or some sort of integrations which are third-party integration like you put in some text and you get an image right like so like obviously when dolly came out the first one we were like oh i was like oh that's it you know that's the future you know but you know we didn't have all that resources so but we've been kind of steadily playing with that the best we could and um we've been focusing on generative stuff a lot um we don't have any products that are like release candidates right now, but I mean, we do have it internal. We built a fun internal uh, generative GIF maker that works just like the Slack bot. You know, nice. we can type in some text and then we'll generate GIFs, you know. And um, largely because, you know, <clears throat> I think this is true. Any generative video product you use right now, like everyone knows the quality can vary, right? Yeah. And so like, I mean, there are some amazing ones with amazing engineering behind them, but I wouldn't consider generative video solved right and totally. So hit or miss too, and just so depending miss, on yeah. basically how the how the model feels. I don't know how yeah, to actually, yeah. How, what to say on? I wouldn't say there's something that we're like, yeah, this is it, launch it. I mean, maybe if we had um, different resources, but um, but it's, you know, but but we've been, you know, luckily the open source community is great. There's like all these different models that come out that we can experiment with, especially like Animate Diff, the latest one. You know, we've been using that for a lot of stuff in, in-house just to experiment um, with the anticipation that, you know, people will solve this problem in the community or, or whatever. And we can, you know, we've always been kind of an applied machine learning. Uh, like, so it's like, what are we building, right? We're building something that could generate a sticker or generate a GIF. Well, what's our user expectation? Well, they're, you know, maybe maybe they can deal with some, some noise or some weirdness, um, or maybe they can't. I mean, um, we do have past experience that tells us that people do like weird stuff, um, especially in Slack. Um, you know, <laughs> the early days, 
I'm just thinking like you, yeah, if you know all the gifts that I've posted, you probably, I can, I'm probably like, again, middle of the road, but I've posted some weird shit with yeah. gifts. Yeah. No, I, we so love I can the only weird. imagine the other weird shit you've seen. Oh yeah. We had special, we had special collections that we still have just our highlights. <laughs> um, That's but yeah, cool. like with Slack, right early on, it was kind of very random, right? Like our collection was limited and people would use the integration and we'd return something and, you know, it was felt very random and it was kind of random and people either loved it or they hated it. Right. Like, um, they were like, you guys can't do search. This is highly irrelevant. What's going on. Or people would be like, oh, this is so weird. I get the juxtaposition between what I typed in and what this image is, you know? And then like the whole office laughs, right? Because some funny thing comes back. Right. And then the, the whole office is everyone's dealing with this juxtaposition between this text and this image and the conversation, and it becomes very playful, right? So we do know that there's a threshold, you know, that people are willing to accept the weird or the funky or the the low quality. I mean, GIFs are super low quality historically. You know, we, we largely serve videos um, at this point. You know, we've turned everything to videos. But, um, you know, pixelation is, like, fundamental to the, to the media itself, right? So, like, people... People's tolerances are pretty high. Um, but yeah, to your point, you know, I think um, once we get a little further along with the quality and the speed and all that kind of stuff, then yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be there. And so let's jump for a sec because you also do some really cool stuff when it comes to helping out other startups. I mean, mm-hmm. you are like, I guess, the poster child for being able to just get your hands dirty in a startup as we've heard over the last 40 minutes yeah you took to it like a fish in water and i would love to know like what are some things now that because you're working with a venture capitalist or you're doing stuff you're helping out uh what is it the what's going on give me the story there and then also just like what have you been seeing and helping different startups with yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I love the startup idea and the, you know, just being involved. And I love helping people who have something kind of realize it. Um, so I've done a lot of different, you know, consulting on the side, you know, fun projects. Um, when you're starting something new and you've never done it before, it's very scary and challenging, right? And uh, you're like leaping into the the void. Because there's just like, you know, it's this thing like who knows what's going to happen and I got to do everything, right? So I've had people who've worked with me or worked under me, they go do stuff and then I'll just kind of, you know, help along with their prototype, you know, just like do like, hey, let's walk through this product, right? Tell me what's going on. What are you thinking? Anything from that to like actual coding or running teams, you know, like um, when you're, when you have a startup and you're, you know, if you're not a technical founder or whatever, or even if you are a technical founder, running engineering teams is hard, right? Like, and so, um. I've helped out other people like kind of prop up their teams and get that organized. Um, and to me, it's all about alignment and respect, I would say. Like, um, you know, like, again, I have this like communication literature background, so I can be pretty articulate and like, I can also have ideals, be kind of romantic about stuff. You know, and I think you kind of need that to to lead teams, you know, because like, you know, if you're just saying, if you're just walking through a board and saying, okay, you do that, you do this, like, that's demeaning. Most engineers, is boring. Most engineers I know are really smart, creative people, you know? So you kind of have to get them, kind of goes back to that cult thing, right? Like, you say, like, hey, 
this is what we're doing. This is why it's important to the company. This is where you fit in. Um, and this is why we're asking you to do this work, you know, and then you trust them to go solve the problem and you give engineers the space to solve it, you know, and that gives them agency and autonomy and then they'll do their best work usually. Right. And then you, you've kind of find that, um, I mean, it's like collaborating with musicians, right? Like you may have written a song and you're like, here's a song, but I want you to kind of figure out this part, you know, I haven't solved that and you let them do it. And then they contributed back into it. Right. So it's not just your song. It's like everybody's song. It's the same thing I think with, with product work. And I know that sounds fairly romantic and some, some work is more interesting than other work. No doubt about it. You know, um, and I, I personally tend to gear towards things that I find very interesting. You know, I've done some like SaaS and kind of fintech consultations and tend not to hang out there too long because I just get, you know, that's not my jam. But I mean, I'll, I'll uh, but, you know, starting from, from scratch can be very helpful. Um, and yeah, you know, to the venture point, you know, it's just a very different landscape than it was back in the day. You know, I've been kind of following that and talking to people in the industry and, you know, when Giphy was raising and lots of people were raising, um, you know, the app store was there, but there was still this feeling like you can create something on the internet and as long as there's demand, like, just let that thing go, right? And don't worry about revenue because, like, you know, revenue is a, like, revenue is friction. You know, making people pay is friction. We're, we're trying to see how big this thing can get. You yeah. know, and that was kind of, and investors would give money just based on growth. Um, and I think uh, that's not the same now, obviously, since maybe that kind of peaked in 2021. But, you know, once, I mean, you know, economics is like the Fed policy changing and everything. And a lot of these bubbles, crypto and metaverse, they've, they've burst. And I think a lot of VCs are kind of, whoops, you know, a lot of VCs, you know. So there's been kind of a calling, I guess you could say. But, you know, people care about revenue now and they care about traction with users and numbers and I think it's harder to have an idea or whatever. So it's like, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's kind of interesting because as much as you can go out and build incredible things now um, that are very more, much more difficult and much more have capabilities you could have never had in the past, it seems harder um, to get that VC back in, right? And then things aren't as greenfield either, right? Like, um, you know, big tech owns a lot and it's hard to, you know, where you're Apple, you have the App Store and you take a big cut and like, you know, they make the most money. Lots of companies started, but Apple made the most money from the App Store, right? Yeah. Um, I feel like AI is kind of going that same way. Um, whereas someone like OpenAI, who I have tremendous respect for, but they're probably trying to follow that App Store model in a way where they're like, we're going to build all the capabilities you need and then you, you're going to create apps or products on top of these capabilities, right? Which which can be cool and maybe you'll come up with stuff, but, but you know, if you're an ML infrastructure company right now, then you're probably sweating, you know, if you, or if you're an ML specific tool that does something, um, this is kind of a generalized tool, then you're probably sweating right now because big tech has so much money and resources and they can eat you alive if they choose. So, you know, if to build right now, I think you got to be real specific about your user and you probably got to be building at that, on those edge cases a little bit, right? Where like, this isn't, like Giphy survived because no no big tech companies wanted to build a GIF search engine. It's not like we had some like unique technology. Magic that, yeah, yeah, exactly, right. It's like, well, they already did it, right? And it's pretty good. So like, let's just incorporate it into this thing because we're not going to spin up a team to do that. 
Yeah, I think that's kind of, um, you have to look in those spots, right? Where like, what is big tech not going to be dealing with or not paying attention to? And then you can kind of build around that. And we'll see. I, I don't know if the idea of these like billion dollar companies everywhere is the same. Like you may have a lot of hundred million dollar companies that are kind of built on top of these different in infrastructures. Um, so we'll see, you know, it's just a whole, it's a different world, um, in my opinion, but it's at the same time, um, it's very, I mean, you know, I build, I build stuff on my own all the time. Cause it's just like, how can you not be excited about this? And yeah, they may not be the biggest thing ever, but like, I don't know, you could probably do well and make some money and maybe get some other people to help you out and they make some money and then maybe do it again, you know? Uh -huh. Yeah. Especially these days being able to leverage what OpenAI has put out. Exactly. It's incredible. It is a little bit like, I know I shouldn't be using it because I'm just going to get myself a lock-in and I'm going to create a better <laughs> ecosystem for them, but they make it so damn easy. Yeah. There's that paradox in a way. And and then the other thing that you said it's, is quite funny because I imagine back when Giphy was raising money, a seed round was probably like, a million bucks maybe or 500,000. Yeah. yeah, totally. Now yeah. these seed rounds for the AI companies are like 18 million or yeah, 20 right, million. Totally. And you're like, oh, that's yeah. a seed round? That sounds more like a oh, yeah, A totally. or a B. Yeah, I mean, I think counter to what I just said about venture, you know, the AI stuff has been kind of insulated and it's kind of that bastion of throw money at it, you know, like, if you've got the right pedigree and the right background and you're going to go start, you know, something that's a kind of a general, like an LLM company or a general tool company, then yeah, you probably got a lot of venture, but what's the, what's the, how long are those going to be here? You know, some of them might be here for a while that, you know, some of them have got billions of dollars raised, you know, um, but some of these other ones, I think they'll just have a hard time competing with the ones that are already light years ahead, you know? Yeah, it is fascinating to me too to see that there's all these different use cases like i am a big fan of following what happens in e-commerce and e-commerce yeah. used to you used to be able to raise money for e-commerce and now it's kind of like do you really need to raise money for this is it better just to get debt like what yeah what's the reason is it going to be one of those hundred or a thousand x outcomes i don't know so yeah. it's hard but nick man I appreciate you coming on here. I've taken up a ton of your time and this is super, super cool. For anybody that wants to reach out, we'll leave all your details in the description so they can hit you up on LinkedIn and I'm going to keep using gifts. I'm just going to plant my flag <laughs> in the sand appreciate right now, <laughs> despite what my daughters tell me and my cousins that say I'm not cool anymore. I don't care. Yeah. I will take it. I really <laughs> enjoy the way that gifts make me smile when I see them. So that's, uh, that's I love what y'all are doing. And thanks for coming on here. My pleasure. Thanks to be true. Thanks for having me. Thanks for all you do. Take care. Hey, Laszlo here. If you are serious about MLOps, you hit subscribe right now.